Good morning. My name is Miles Avoyes. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 20 from the New International Version. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain, since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. My name is Elise Steele. I am the wife of Ben Steele, who preached here a few weeks ago. And I am the mom to the beautiful little baby, Mary. I am an ordained pastor with the Covenant Church, and previously I served as an associate pastor at North Park Covenant Church in Chicago, Illinois, before Ben and I moved back here to the Pacific Northwest last summer. The last three months, I've had the privilege to enjoy being at home with our daughter, Mary. It's been some very early mornings, and definitely Ben and I have been put through parent boot camp. Even so, I have cherished this time with Mary. But sadly, the time is coming to an end, and I must be on the job hunt yet again. I was recently combing through the internet trying to find pastoral positions in the Seattle area, something that is hard to come by. And I came across a a church that was hiring and decided to take a look at their website to see what they were about. One of the taglines of the church was, a Bible-based message that's easy to apply to your life. Well, if that's the type of message you were hoping for today, you probably should have gone to that church. Today, the writer of Ecclesiastes invites us to talk about money, something that can make us squirm in our seats a little bit. And I will be honest, this sermon was very convicting for me, and even harder to write. Our author tells us, whoever loves money never has enough. 
Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners, except to feast their eyes on them? I have seen grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, and wealth lost to some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil, and they carry nothing in their hands. I struggled believing the writer when he calls money meaningless, or at least a peripheral glance at the text seems to suggest this. But money carries great meaning. Without money, we would not have this place of worship. We would not have food to eat, places to dwell, car or bus fare to take us to our employment. So money seems quite the opposite of meaningless. However, it is the love of money that is meaningless. It is those of us who desire money that can lead us into great temptation and steer us from life in the fullment. Prior to this week, if you asked me if I loved money, I would have told you no. Yet through my sermon preparation, I might have to say otherwise. Throughout the Old and the New Testament, we, have, we are warned against the pitfalls of loving money and seeking after it. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul warns us, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierced themselves from many griefs. What makes the love of money so evil? A biblical commentator I read this week pointed out five pitfalls. It can easily become a god, something that we see of great worth and power, something that provides security and we trust to take care of us. Sound a bit like God? I worked a lot with college students in my previous pastoral call, And the vast majority of them chose their majors based on what type of careers they could have that would earn them a great deal of money, similar to myself in pastoral ministry. (laughs) That's not true, kids. I'm lying. But they sought after these things because they believed it would provide them security for the life ahead. The danger with money is that it actually is power. You may have heard of the controversial court case from Texas when Ethan Cooch, a 16-year-old, got only 10 years probation after he pled guilty to four counts of manslaughter and two counts of assault. According to Time magazine, Cooch stole beer from Walmart, jumped into his drunk while intoxicated, smashed into a woman whose car had broken down, killing her, two people who stopped to help, and a passerby. The judge ruled the young man was not responsible for his behavior because he grew up rich. The affluenza defense. Time reported that Eric Boyles, a man who lost his wife and daughter in that crash, said it was this young man's wealth that kept him from a harsher sentence. If he had been someone else with less money and privilege, they would have served time. Money gave this young man the power to escape justice. 
With a love of money, we usually want more and more of it so we can buy more and more for ourselves. If some have too much, it is inevitable that some will have too little. We are warned about this in Isaiah. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till there is no space left and you live alone in the land. The more we acquire, the further we distance ourselves from the poor, the class of people Jesus cared a great deal for when he was here. We become numb to the needs of this world and are almost blind to see the poverty at our doorsteps. In the commentary I read this week, in the 1960s, a newspaper published a statistic that 17 million people in America were desperately poor. A prominent editor of the Times said, I don't believe it. I don't know any. And similar to money becoming a god, money can make us feel so secure and independent that we forget the necessity for relationship and the need to rely on God. And for those of us who don't have money, but love it regardless, we assume money is what God wants for us, thus a misunderstanding of what prosperity means in the kingdom of God. A common phrase I will say to Ben is, if only we were independently wealthy. The blank is usually filled in with some incredible charitable deed I would do, or an incredible experience we could have, or it might be that we could go out for teriyaki dinner once a week, a sign of great wealth in my book. And Ben once responded to me, Elise, if I had a nickel for every time you said that to me, I'd be independently wealthy. In these moments, I fail, to see, I fail to realize the riches that fill my life and the good I am capable to do with the resources I have in the here and now. I remember when I first became a Christian and I went to a church that had a huge youth group that pulled students from all area high schools. I distinctly remember a time in the prayer request where a girl stood up and said, I'd like you all to pray fervently that I get a car for my 16th birthday. At the time, I thought, hot dog, we can pray for cars and God will give them to us? Now I think, why didn't that youth pastor say, or you could praise God that you live in a place where you can ride a school bus to school and you get to be educated? But we never see just how good we have it, do we? At an early age, we struggle to be content with what we have, and we continually want more. This week, I have thought a lot about this passage, how this passage can recenter us to the heart of the gospel message. And it made me think long and hard what I think the gospel message is. While in seminary, we had to, for a number of our classes, write the gospel message in two sentences. And I remember one of our professors asked us, what scripture passage do you think encapsulates the gospel for us? Many of my classmates thought of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. I am always partial to Romans 8, for I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But this week, I thought a lot about the gospel message as John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It is interesting to note here that Jesus, what Jesus offers, this life and life to the full, it is not a certainty or an absolute. It's a subjunctive. It's a possibility. Then what keeps us from this life in the full that Jesus offers? I believe it is our own misunderstanding of what God intends for us in this world and our selfish desires. The theologian Dorothy Soli said, What comes between Christ and the middle class of the first world is not material poverty, or, but spiritual emptiness. She went on to lament that for many of us, we are seeking spiritual fulfillment in addition to our material possessions and privileges. This is where I wrestled this week. I have a birthday coming up next month. And Ben and I are not in a position to buy things we want at the time. We can buy what we need. However, I've noticed my want list has become rather large. And I made a claim to my mom earlier this month that I wanted a Fitbit for my birthday. Some of you might know what those are. They're things you wear on your wrists. It counts your steps, your sleep. Now, these are not evil. It's probably handy to know how many steps you take in a day, how your sleep is going, and so forth. Mary is a baby that likes to bounce and be on the move. So I not only wanted to keep track of the miles I was running, but the steps I was taking from bouncing that baby to and fro. But verse 11 in our scripture haunted me this week. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? I thought about how the Fitbit is nearly the price, actually a bit more, than a wheelchair costs for the free wheelchair mission. This is an organization that our church partners with that provides wheelchairs for people in developing nations that otherwise would not have the means to have one. Perhaps my need to count my steps is not as necessary as the need of a person who cannot even take a step. Since my needs are being met, instead of meeting my wants, I could seek to take care of another person's need. I say I had this conviction. And on Wednesday, I spent the whole day with my mom. And I could have told her, Hold off on the Fitbit, Mom. I'd like you to donate to the free wheelchair mission. But I didn't. I will have to now that I've told all of you. <laughs> but I didn't initially tell her because I am so selfish. Sometimes it's easy to talk a big game about what we're going to do for the world. But when the rubber meets the road, it's harder to actually do it. It's a big challenge for me to give up a want 
so that I could meet a stranger's need. Jesus tells us in Matthew, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I truly believe that life in the full comes when we heed the words of this holy book. When we allow ourselves to be convicted. When we are able to address and are honest about our false idols like money. And we seek to live a holier life. One where our needs are, when our needs are being met, we seek to meet the needs of another. A commentator said, what would it mean for us to place all our money in the role of servant to God's kingdom and God's justice? Money then would no longer be seen as evil, but that which ushers in the coming kingdom of our Lord. I read in Forbes magazine that in 2015, Americans were expected to spend $6.9 billion on Halloween And according to USA Today, on the 4th of July, Americans spent $6.7 billion on food and $1 billion on fireworks. And ABC News reported that the gifts and goodies Americans spent on Christmas was a whopping $465 billion. If one year... America decided to use that money towards world hunger. All the human inhabitants of the earth would have full bellies for 16 years. Methodist preacher John Wesley spoke a great deal on money. He reminded his listeners that we are stewards of our wealth, not owners. That the focus of spending should be on spiritual growth and the reward of the giver. He said, money is rather like prayer. It requires discipline and right relationship. He challenged his hearers that keeping back God's resources for oneself has an impact on the individual and perhaps more importantly, the church. The fullness of life in Jesus Christ is about seeing God's kingdom come to earth in the here and now. God's intent for the world was not that I got to count how many steps I take in a day while someone else lay around immobile. And I can certainly guarantee Jesus did not expect his birth to become a consumer holiday where the wants of the faithful outweighed the needs of the disenfranchised. The love of money is meaningless. It will get you no closer to the person you want to be, to experiencing the fullness of life, or to being in right relationship with our Creator. It will only leave you wanting more. But when we choose to love God and to love neighbor, we use our money and our resources to see more good threaded throughout the world, to help someone in need. And we see the kingdom of God reign. It is when our love of God exceeds all other loves that we experience life and life in the full. This year for my birthday, I won't get an instrument that tells me exactly how many steps I take. But I will know someone out there will get the gift of mobility. This is better than anything I could have ever asked for. 
Thanks be to a God who does not allow us to stay stagnant with our faith, who challenges and convicts us to think about how we are living, always with the intention that we experience all the glories and wonders this life has to offer, and to know God's great love, this love freely given so that we could freely give. This profound love expressed in Jesus Christ, who offers us life and life in the full. Amen.